This is the week after Sunday and uh, after Easter Sunday, and I'd like to just talk a little bit about what happens after the resurrection and how that relates to us as believers, and that we are, and uh, by the way, the kids are dismissed. Got to remember to say that, right? <laughs> um, Okay, so let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And I'd like just to read um, the first 11 verses. But while you're turning there, just listen to these two verses I'm going to read to you now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. You know, after Christ rose from the dead, uh, a series of things happened for 40 days. Jesus appeared to people, his disciples, different individuals, for the following 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And we read this summarization of what Jesus did uh, by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 7. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I had also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen by Cephas, or which that's the Greek name for Peter, and then by, by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. And so Jesus here is seen by up, upwards to about a thousand people, physically, in person, uh, people that were just not individuals, but that were people that had influence and that had people that were witnesses of these things. And after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, which Peter is, uh, which is Paul's writing, many of them, as I'm writing this scripture um, to the, the Corinthians, he said that they were alive still, but some have died. And after that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles, including um, Paul. And another scripture I want to read as you're going to Acts chapter 1. Maybe you're already there. First, First Timothy 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. I like 1 Timothy 3.16 because it, it's a 3.16 verse, and there's a lot of 3.16 verses that um, are easy to remember because of John 3.16, the message of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he what gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And then 1 Timothy 3.16 basically says the story behind that. So... These two verses talk about the amazing miracle of the resurrection of Christ. Now, this being a week after Easter, I just thought it would be appropriate to talk about the message that Christ left after the resurrection with his disciples. Forty days Jesus is appearing to people. Uh, there is more evidence of the resurrection of Christ, and we said this Easter Sunday, there's more evidence that he rose from the dead, not only just religious evidence, but secular ev evidence, Roman records. Uh, if you like to Google things, you can Google jo the guy by the name of Jophis Josephus, 
He was a, a, he was a Hebrew historian that really uh, opens the doors for life in ancient Israel and is well known. And he documents the, uh, the proof of Christ's resurrection. So we know that he rose from the dead and he was seen by almost upwards to a thousand people. And so I want to read Acts chapter 1, and I just want listen to this as I read it. Um, Luke is writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. It's not described who a Theophilus is in the scripture, but Theophilus in the Greek can be translated as lover of God. And so really the book of Acts is written to anyone that really loves God. The book of Acts is really the description of what the disciples and the apostles in the first church did after the resurrection of Christ. And I believe there's a series now on cable TV called um, AD. And uh, if you can catch that, I'm sure it would build you up and encourage you. It's a great, uh, as, actually it's a continuation of the cable, um, uh, the hit cable series, The Bible. I don't know if you saw that, but the Bible series, on, I know at least on iTunes, uh, is the, was the most popular cable uh, TV program that was out there uh, for a long time. So um, I want to read, just listen to this as Luke writes regarding the resurrection of Christ and what happened afterwards. In the former account which I prepared, O Theophilus, I made a continuous report dealing with all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he ascended, after he thought the Holy Spirit had instructed and commanded the apostles whom he had chosen. To them also he showed himself alive after his resurrection by a series of many convincing demonstrations, and I'm reading from the Amplified, appearing to them during 40 days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. And while, they were, and while being in their company and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for that what the Father had promised, of which he said, you had heard of me speak. And John baptized, for John baptized with water, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with, placed in, and introduced into the Holy Spirit. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit here, I just want to make a quick comment on what that is, because I know there's a lot of misunderstanding in Christianity about that. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In Pentecostal circles and in other charismatic circles, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is taught as an experience that a Christian experiences after he receives Christ sometime after his um, believing on Jesus Christ as his Savior. And many, many circles make that a required experience um, followed by speaking in tongues or some other uh, uh, supernaturally, supposedly supernatural expression that you're filled with the Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture is there ever uh, described the requirement to speak in tongues or to have the baptism of the Spirit in that sense. What the Bible teaches is, is that when you and I get saved, we are baptized into Christ immediately, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. There's many other scriptures that would say that, but we are brought into Christ when we, when we believe on it. We are brought into him positionally. We are in Christ. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, here is, being, is referring to a single event or a singular event that happens when 
the Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at that later, maybe a, a next week, when the Holy Spirit comes down and uh, anoints and um, empowers the disciples to be the apostles and to go and to be witnesses and to begin to do what they did, write scripture, evangelize the world, evangelize Europe, and to carry Christ to the nations. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, has been misconstrued in the last couple centuries to be something that is an emotional experience that is something that is required to be uh, experienced uh, or you are, not, you are not saved. There's no biblical support for that. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what could happen, and this happened with me, and it can happen to many people, is that when you get saved, you, you feel nothing. Like many people say, well, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I, there was, I didn't feel anything. Nothing changed. I didn't feel anything. I, and some people said I had peace. Some people said they had some amazing things happen to them. But it could be, like we read in another scripture somewhere, I don't want to spend too much time on this, that when, uh, let's cover this later. Let's cover this at another time because we're going to get right into it and I want to do that. It could be that a person gets saved doesn't understand fully the, the truth of their salvation, and then down the road when they get some teaching, they begin to understand that they're in Christ, that they're in the peace of God, that they're in God's love. Nothing can separate them from the love of God. Their sins have been washed away. They've been, uh, they are now a new, create, new creation. And as that begins to permeate a person, they begin to emotionally respond to it. And they may actually have a sense like an encounter with the truth of God. And, and that happened to me a couple times where I understood, wow, I'm in Christ, there's no condemnation. And I had like, I wasn't speaking in tongues and it wasn't anything weird. It just it was a very beautiful uh, sense of God's presence in my life that he wasn't going to leave. And that, can, that happens sometimes. And that could actually be the word baptism really means, and let's just take it out of the religious context for a second to baptize something really just in the Greek means to immerse, to put something into, uh, a, can you give me the other mic? The, to put something under something or inside of something. We immerse when you're marinating something or you're, uh, you know, when you're, uh, when you're, when you immerse something, it's actually surrounded by the, by the, the thing that it's immersed in. So, the the immersion or the the baptism here that's being spoken about is not the baptism that um, some churches say that you have to have that you have to speak in tongues. The example of speaking in tongues in the New Testament, when it actually happened in the Book of Acts, it happened in different ways every time. So we can't develop a a formula or a consistency with. Uh, people speaking in tongues because every time it happened it would happen with different people in different circumstances and different things caused it so it's not it was uh, and we want to talk about that maybe at another at another time so here they were going to be empowered they were going to be surrounded they're going to be immersed they're going to Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry by the way baptism many times it always speaks about new beginnings in a person's life and as a matter of fact, what I'd like to do this summer is I'd like to have a baptism for those that have never been baptized or that would be like to be baptized. Um, I don't know where people are at with that, but 
something not the sprinkling when you maybe you were sprinkled when you were a baby, but baptism in the Bible that Jesus talks about is a full immersion. So if you'd like to be baptized, let me know. And so the the apostles here were going to be immersed, and they were going to be um, commissioned by the Holy Spirit with power. And when they uh, and let's look at the next verse here. So when they were assembled, they had asked him, Lord, is this the time? when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel. See, the disciples are still asking, is this now the time? You were crucified. Uh, We were disappointed. We were just uh, almost disillusioned. And at this point, are you coming back now? And, And Jesus responds and he says, it is not for you to become acquainted with and knowledgeable of what brings the things and events of time and their definite periods or fixed years, uh, which the Father has appointed by His own choice and authority of personal power. Jesus is saying, it's not for you to know yet. There are aspects of God's plan in our lives that that we are seeing God move, but there's some aspects about God's plan yet that we have not yet, that, that God is not revealing to us yet. Because it has to be a walk of faith. It has to be a walk where we're trusting God step by step. And then Jesus says here, but... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I have one more verse before I get into this, and this is Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, and these are the last words of Christ before he before he ascended, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "All power, all authority." has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus here commissions his disciples. He speaks to them, and the last words of any person on the earth are always very important, if not the most important words that they say. And the last words here of Christ to his disciples are these words right here. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Sometimes you may, you, we may get confused about what am I supposed to do as a Christian? Well, this is it right here, is that we have been commissioned. Now, before I get into that, many Christians, many people, and I think in America, I think there is a very large population, large percentage of people that say, yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. And, and maybe, they, maybe they're, um, maybe and even in their own mind, it's not defined how much do they believe in God, or maybe they want to have it in a box that no one really, no one really, no one except for me can touch that. And I spoke with someone recently um, at a fam- family gathering about this, and they just said to me that they 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 have a very pantheistic view that God is in everything and very abstract. And because when a person begins to become specific and defined about God in their life, it means some things, and it actually puts them in a place where it they may may not may not be ready for that, and they may not be ready for the the cost of it, which means. Yes, I receive by grace a free gift of salvation, but there's also a loss in my life. It's not that I have to quit doing things, because it's 
not, not me quitting. It's God actually begins to uh, cut those desires off. It's unbelievable. I can't explain it to you. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. When you get saved, something there's a resurrection power that comes into your life that there are things that you don't want to do or can't even do anymore, even though you would like to try to do it. God just, you just sense this hindering power from, I mean, you just sense that God is not allowing you to, how many know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever felt that? I have. Like, you just want to go back into the, it's like, you just like, I can't, I just, I just can't do it. It's like something's stopping me, and it's the Holy Spirit that's keeping you and I uh, in the path of sanctification by faith. And so, witnesses, we are called witnesses. You shall be witnesses. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. Now, what's a witness? You know, what is that? And again, I want to take words out of, there are words in your minds and in my minds that we grew up with, whatever our religious background is, that when you hear these words, there's like, it just, different lights go on, different bells go off, you know, you know it's like, this is a, an ugly word, or this is a nice word. But witness is, a, is basically, in English, means someone who has seen something and has been called to testify in a court of law. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1. And as you're, uh, I want to read this to you. Paul, uh, John says this, uh, and I love the way he describes this. John the Apostle, who was an apostle of Jesus, he's the last of the apostles that are still alive. He's an old man writing this book, and he writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, John is saying this, we have heard this, we have seen this with our eyes, we have looked upon it, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John was saying, not only did we just hear about this, John is saying that we handled this. Now you and I in this church, like though we have not physically seen Jesus Christ in person, we handle his life. We can see his life. You know, when we gather together, yesterday we were on the, uh, in, the, in a na- nearby neighborhood and just um, talking with people, uh, just sharing Christ and uh, you know, and it was just, we had some great divine appointments. It was just so awesome. We actually met people, we met the Werners. Uh, we didn't, and I walked up to their driveway, and he's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and we're like, is that Ed? <laughs> Ed, what are you, because I live here. And we got talking, and we met another woman who knew Pastor Saluda, and who asked us to pray for uh, her her dad, Ralph, and his, her her mom. And, you know, when we are, in the body, when we're engaged with things, when we are doing things, we are experiencing Christ. We are, we are touching and we are handling and we are beholding the work of God. We are witnesses to, to, to these things. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, you are witnesses to these things. You and I, though we did not see Christ ascend, we are witnesses of the work of God in our life, aren't we? The work of Christ. How many of you this week had a Bible verse that you've been thinking about that you saw God work in your life this week in some way? How many of you? You don't have to raise your hand, but like, did you, did, did you receive something from God and then it became in some way an experience in your life this week? For me, it was Proverbs 16, 1 through 3. That was a verse that God gave to me and it was in, in a way I experienced during the week. You know what? That is what I'm talking about. This is what it means to be a witness 
of Jesus Christ. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be witnesses unto me. And I like that because witnessing is not just going out and yelling at somebody about they, they need to repent and get saved. I mean, that, you know, witnessing and evangelism is part of witnessing, but witnessing also happens on another level. Being a witness for Christ and what he's doing in your life and what he's done in your life happens on the family level. It happens at the work level. It happens at, you know, your random, um, your and my random uh, errands that we, that, we, that we do. You know, we, um, I was at the Comcast store down in Willow Grove taking care of something and had like a, just an opportunity to, to be a witness for Christ there. And uh, what it means to be a witness means is, is that we are testifying of the things that God is doing. And this is something that Jesus said, I'm leaving you with this commission. And this commission is bigger than yourself. And this commission uh, means that there are times when we on purpose go out and we tell people about Christ. A lot of churches, I think a very small percentage of churches are doing that today because a lot of churches think, well, they're going to think we're Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons or something. But, you know, I think within the first 30 seconds, people can kind of figure out who we are, that we're not Jehovah Witnesses. And there's everybody and their brother with their menus and their, you know, their fast food men putting stuff on our doors. Why can't we put something that's got great news on somebody's door and without offending them? We met a guy yesterday who said, you know, he says he's going to a church and he's just looking for something deeper. And he says, I'm going to come and visit your church. There are people out there that are looking for Christ. Uh, there are people across the street, you know. I mean, we had a situation here last summer, uh, Don was telling us about. Somebody that just tra- tragically ended their life across the street from us. We didn't even know. I mean, there are people that have great needs, and they're in our neighborhoods. Um, there's a great, um, there's a great uh, st- set of statistics, and I can, send, I can email it to you if you'd like, about what is, do you know what's going on in your neighborhood? And it, out of 100 of your neighbors, a certain amount are struggling with this, Another certain percentage are struggling with that. Uh, it's amazing when you take a synopsis of what's going on in your neighborhood. And so we are witnesses. And Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. And he says, go therefore. And we're not going in our own name and our, or, or our own power, but we're going in something that is, that is the power of Jesus Christ. And you know, when I do outreach and when I evangelize, when I share my faith with someone, there's like, I, I don't know what, how to explain it, but there's like a sense of empowering to that. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? You walk away from the conversation and you feel quickened. You feel filled. Uh, you feel like you, you feel like, wow, I just did something that is what my purpose is. And as a matter of fact, the reason that we have breath in our lungs today and the reason why we have our life is that we would be witnesses. Now, um, Again, there, you know, there are so many strange concepts of what it means to be a witness. And, you know, thanks to Hollywood, they've portrayed pastors and Bible and churches, Christian churches, and people that evangelize as really freaky people that are part of cults. I don't, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but they are portrayed as very strange people, like from Waco, Texas or something, or, you know, weird people that live in their compounds and have their weird... Um, end of days agendas but that's not the way it is and the world has its own picture of who the christian is 
we cannot be intimidated by that, and we can't live under that. As a matter of fact, um, when you and I complain or compliment aspects of the world that we live in and its culture that we live in, uh, we are no longer evangelizing it. Because we can get so close to the world that we begin to lose, we begin to lose, we begin to lose sight of the difference between the Church of Christ and the world. And what happens is, is that we begin to look at it and actually admire it. Uh, you know, this world system—it doesn't take anyone that's a rocket scientist to understand that this world system is really in trouble. That the political system, the social system, are. Our entire system, all the systems in this world are on a downward, on a, are on a downward um, spiral. The level of education that people have today is, is so much less than what we had 100 years ago. And I don't want to make this message about this, but man, uh, the way that the Darwinistic type of thinking in society today is, is trying to tell us that man is on the upswing, that he's ascending in his ability and his understanding and but in actuality, if you study history correctly, man is actually in a descent. Uh, just because we have an amazing technology does not mean that we're getting smarter. We're actually getting not smarter. We're, it's, the, it's really, there is a dumbing down that's going on. Our educational system is, is in the de- descent. We are not ascending um, murder rates and problems and diseases are worse than ever. And they, archaeology is pulling up things uh, in historical context that show that there was more understanding of medical practices in ancient, ancient cultures than there is today. Uh, Where did Christopher Columbus get his maps to find America? He got it actually from some very ancient maps that portrayed a land that was a land mass that was to the, that was to the west of Europe. This is not, you know, we, we talk about discovering lights and Edison described electricity was uh, in some ancient cultures in the Middle East was functioning already a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. There were light, there were batteries. The Egyptians had batteries. They had they had the abilities to heal people, not by some weird hocus pocus, but they had medical understanding of surgeries. And so we cannot get so in, incredibly impressed by the system that we live in just because we can control the world that we live in. And so. We are in this world today not to be impacted or influenced by the thinking of the world, but really to be witnesses to the world that are, that is very, that are very needy. And so what does it mean to love the world? It just means that I'm preaching Christ to it. And I know this is kind of a simple message, but for me, the best thing I can do for, my, for the world that I'm living in today is to share Christ with it. And so um, there are six different kinds of messages that um, churches today and Christians today mistakenly believe that are the message for the world today. And you're going to see this on large scale, in a large scale way, that uh, the message of Christ was very simple, that man is totally depraved. He has fallen. Uh, he has some good aspects to himself. He can be good. He can, he can do good things. But he's also, in every way, um, faulty and he is he fails and the second aspect of Christ's message was is that Christ came to pay for sin sin that man that you and I could not that we cannot get rid of we can manage it to somewhat 
but there's no way that we could transform our own heart. And Jesus said, I've come to do that. I've come to fulfill the law, die for sin, rise again, meaning that, I'm no, that, that your sin cannot kill me, and now I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father, which means that he intercedes for us. And so the, the message of the gospel really is very, is very simple. There's a humanitarian gospel out there. And, you know, you're going to hear some of the things that I'm talking about, and you're going to say, well, isn't that what supposed to, the church is supposed to do? Yes, we're supposed to be involved in that way. Jesus had money for the poor. But Jesus was not walking around as a financial institute handing money to people. He was not a welfare system. Jesus Christ had a message, which was a message of the gospel of grace. And so our message primarily as a church is not humanitarian. Sometimes people will come to church and they maybe expect from a church uh, things like they would expect maybe from the government, like that you're supposed to be here to financially support me. That's not the calling of the church. We are called to help. We're called to help in what way we can. But our primary purpose is not, a, is not a humanitarian organization, although we do some of that. Second kind of message that is out there that's, that really kind of misses the mark about what the church is, is a psychological gospel, a psychological knowledge gospel. Like, you know, and you're going to, with this kind of gospel, you'll see a real heavy emphasis on psychology and counseling and like, how do you feel? What did your parents do to you? Or, you know, like, what did so-and-so do to you? And, and really digging up all the stuff from the past when really the greatest thing that we could say to somebody who has been, uh, and we've all been abused in some way or another by, the, by people or by the system, the best thing that we could say to a person is, you know what, that's been crucified, that's been dealt with, that's been, that's been taken away, that's been removed. Don't live under that. That's not who you are. And that's the second message, a psychological complicated knowledge got number three um, a gospel which is all about just worshiping God and this kind of borders on some eastern mystical types of thinking where it's again worship is a big part of what we do and I love worship I love music I'm, I'm, I love I have it in my car I mean everywhere I go I'm listening to great worship music but it's not the primary thing that we do a worship gospel is where, and I saw this recently on a DVD, uh, a really big name uh, Christian musician, which I like his music, it's great music. He had probably thousands and thousands of young people there. Uh, it was just an amazing, I was watching the, I was just watching the uh, online, the, the whole concert. It was very powerful, and I thought, you could see two types of people in that concert. You could see Christians that were like worshiping God. And you could see the people that they brought. They were just standing there like looking around, just amazed at what was going on. And I thought, there's got to be like a gospel invitation. At the, there's got to be a call to salvation at the, end of this, at the end of this concert. Kids here are just so impacted by God and by the, the amazing worship. And at the end, it was like, you know, hey, thanks for coming to my concert. More power to you. Have a great night. And, you know, and that was the end. And I thought, well, maybe... Their friends maybe spoke to them about Christ, but there's more to our message than just worship. And the third, the fourth thing is something that you're gonna that you're gonna probably be able to relate to a blessing and prosperity gospel, where it says if you believe in God, you're gonna be rich. That if you're not rich, then you're out of God's will and you don't have enough faith. Or you know to and you know there is blessing and prosperity in the message of Christ, 
that you know there are men and women of God in the Bible that were prosperous, but that was not the center of their Christianity. Christ was. And you know something? That kind of message would have actually coined Jesus as a failure because he died on a cross being betrayed by people that he loved and that he, that he trusted. And people would say, well, Jesus was not prospering and he died a failure. And so you have these big name money people on TV that are just, uh, all it is is about money. And it, that is a false gospel. And the next thing is a works gospel. We know what this is. Do good works and you're going to be saved. Be perfect and you're going to be all right. Do good. You know something? None of us, I can't fit in that. I would not fit in that kind of a, um, a kind of a gospel. And then the last one is an emotional, very emotional. And it's, it's almost like, psych, I want to say psychotic or just bizarre. Like some meetings where, some churches where people are jumping and they're barking like dogs and they're rolling around on the, like, roll, that's like, that. where's the dignity of a human being in that? Is that, that, can't, that can't be God. That, like, God does not cause a person to act like an animal or out of his mind. God does not cause a person, like in a Bible study, for example, you know, somebody's leading a study and, and then they want to they stir up the Bible study and the people at the Bible study by just doing strange things, like jumping or moaning. Or, this is really all outrageous stuff and this is not the message of Christ. It's all distractions. And you know something, if I wasn't a Christian and if I wasn't a regular church goer and, and I would look at all this, I'd be like, no, thank you. These people are out of their minds. I don't want to do, I don't want to go to that. And we wonder sometimes why people don't want to come to church because that's what they see. That's what they hear about. And I told you the story. I had one guy in Philly tell me, I, you know, he goes, I can't afford to go to your church. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I, I don't have any money. I go, where? I, I'm just amazed. Like, Jesus said that, you know, the poor, the publicans and the sinners came and heard him gladly. What message is being preached today? What message? And so I just want to finish up with this, that Jesus in Luke 19, verse 13, called his, not Jesus, but a, a, a businessman, but the, the, the story is a, is, a, is a symbolic picture of Jesus calling his, disciples, us, he calls his ten servants, delivered them ten minas, or that monetary coin back in the day, and said to them, occupy till I come. Jesus has given us something. Many of us in this room have great talents. And just remember this, just because you and I have a gift that may be spiritual and amazing, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm a spiritual person. That's the big problem today in Christianity. You have people that are very gifted people, great gifted speakers, but they have no spiritual depth at all. And, and when they get challenged by the cross or when something happens in their daily life, uh, they just fly off the handle. And it's just God wants us to grow. And so he's given us this talent. He has given us these gifts. And he says, occupy till I come. And that really is the calling that we have in Christ today as witnesses, that there's something much bigger than my life of creature comfort. Uh, if you and I live outside of our purpose as witnesses, then your life and my life, our domestic life, our work life, our, our every aspect of financial life is going to start to cave in. Because 
without a eternal purpose functioning in our lives, and me and you functioning in eternal purpose, we are going to become servants to our life instead of our life being servants to us. We are called with a great commission. And this great commission is a commission that we are called into that we need to be prepared for. And I, don't want, I want to finish with this. You and I need to be prepared and trained as witnesses. Now, a witness, I said at the beginning of the outset of the message, that a witness is someone who has observed something in first person and now they are called in, by a court of law to, to testify, to repeat what they saw. And that is like, you know, we all know of great big cases where witnesses are called in and they are like the star witness. They are the, they are the case against the defendant. You and I are called by Christ as witnesses in this life. And this is, our whole life is basically a courtroom scene where we are just basically testifying what Christ did to a world and to the atmosphere that denies it. John chapter 9 is just, if, when you go home, read that chapter. John chapter 9, it's almost hilarious about how Jesus heals a blind man who never even sees Jesus. He heals him, and then everybody is just upset that he's healed. And they're asking, who healed you? And they say, well, my man by Jesus, I don't know who he is. He came and he healed me. And that's his confession the whole chapter. And he's getting in more and more in trouble. He's getting called in front of the Pharisees, saying, you can't be healed on the Sabbath. He was a very simple witness, and God brought him to the top echelon, with his very simple, simple testimony. You know, as a witness, as you can imagine, to a very important court case, the most important court case in human history, as a witness, there are going to be times when we are being intimidated by the, by the other side. They're going to intimidate. They're going to try to tamper with you, tamper with your testimony. Did that really happen? Or was that just your imagination? The atmosphere and people and situations and maybe even ourselves are going to tell us things to try to tamper with the evidence and or to try to, number three, try to silence the, silence the witness. Just silence the witness. How many times have we seen in the news, you know, big cases that are developing and suddenly this, the witness is dead? <laughs> I mean, what is that? And that's what the devil wants to do with the Christian. He wants to silence the witness, to shut him down. Whatever you do, just don't talk about Jesus rising from the dead and what he did in your life. When you, if God's done something awesome in your life, tell people about it. God delivered me from drug. God delivered me from this. God did this. God just gave me peace. Or God delivered me from guilt. Or God helped me in this situation. Your testimony, although how small it seems to you, is huge for other people. And that's the biggest thing that we have to realize is that what God has done in your life, whether big or small, other people need to hear that. We need to tell people. And don't be intimidated or feel embarrassed. Share with people. Because this is really the story of post-Easter, that Jesus rose from the dead and that we are called to be witnesses. And to be a qualified witness, to be someone who is encouraged and that's not going to get shut down or silenced or intimidated, we need to be in an environment in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 of a body of Christ where we're being encouraged, built up, and trained. 
a witness needs to be functioning and thinking in critical thinking. And I just want to finish with this. What is critical thinking? Uh, you may know what it is, but critical thinking is a way of thinking. And I, I just have a great definition here. If, follow me if you can with it. Intellectually disciplined process of actively and skillfully conceptualizing, applying, analyzing, synthesizing, and or evaluating information gathered from or generated by observation, experience, reflection, reasoning, or communication as a guide to belief and action. In other words, critical thinking means that I don't believe everything I hear and see. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 1, believe not every spirit. Be critical in your thinking as a witness. What does that mean? It means that, again, the society that we live in is a society that teaches us two things, and we can see it on social media everywhere. Narcissism, that you and I are the center of our universe, my little Facebook page or my timeline or my blog or whatever, is the center, and uh, it creates a very narcissistic sense of being. A narcissist is not a person who's going to be a witness. A witness is a healthy Christian. Someone, A healthy Christian is someone that is reaching out, that is thinking about other people. As a witness, I'm not living under the, dom the, nom the, the, the domination of what's happening in my personal life. Sometimes when things get really hairy in your life, you just need to put everything down, grab another believer and go out and just serve and just do something as a witness. And you're going to come back and you'll be like, your whole life's going to be in the proper proportion. Because as a witness, that we understand our perspective of the world. So I want to finish with this, is that think critically. Think in a critical way. And, and believers, Christians, are not people that just believe everything. Acts 17, verse 11. The Christians are people that actually have a head on their shoulders, that are thinking critically. Uh, they're thinking, um, they're not living in reaction. And that's the second thing that social media is doing to our culture, society. It's creating not only narcissism, narcissism but it's also creating a re, a, an emotionally reactive society where I see something and then I react to it. And I'm not critically thinking about that. Like I get a text and as, as a witness, I'm not going to react to the text without critically thinking about what's behind the text, what's going on in that person's life right now. They're not talking to me. They are reacting. I need to understand that, that uh, I can't take this personally. As a witness unto Christ, I'm critically thinking about things, but if I'm narcissistic and self-centered and egocentric, then I'm going to interp interpret everything in my life as me as the filter. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, we're human beings. Sometimes we get a huge bill in the mail and we just totally freak out, which is, I understand that. And that we're, that's, we're, but, re, but, re, but rebound out of that and don't let that be something that's going to intimidate you as a, as a witness or silence you as a witness. Think critically. Uh, be slow to speak, the Bible says. Slow to anger. What does that mean? It just means that I'm analyzing things. I'm critiquing things. And and uh, when you hear a message from me or from someone at the pulpit here, go home and look at it and just say, like, is that really what, is that really true? You know, I'm not God here and I'm not ultimate knowledge and omniscient. I, I encourage you to take 
take what's said here, go home and read about it, make sure that what I'm saying is true. And if it's not, then come and tell me, maybe I missed something, you know? Think critically about your life. Think critically about what's happening and live that way. And what will happen is, is that we're going to be a qualified witness. Some of, some of you here, many of you, if not all of you, are very gifted people. And I just want to say that you got, God, you got, God has brought a lot of gifts into this church, little by little, and we're growing. And, and I just want to say that um, gifts are not everything. And it's important to be a witness, but it's also that we need to be trained. Ask any professional, a teacher, a businessman. Ask any person that knows their stuff. Um, how often do you have to go to seminars? How often do you have to be trained? They're going to say, I always am in a state of training. And, and, and at the, until the age of whatever, however old you are, you and I are going to be in a stage of just being trained and uh, being a part of something. And I know I'm going a little long, but I just want to finish with this, that, that being part in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through uh, 14, is being a part of a body means I'm losing a, a, a measure of my, of my own uh, independence, in a sense. In another sense, I'm gaining it. I'm learning who I am. I think the, the trend today in Christianity is to be independent, and I can learn it on my own, and I don't need necessarily a church body, or I don't need necessarily to be a part of. And I think that that's dangerous thinking, because one wise man once said, you don't know, you can't educate yourself, you don't know what you need. And in one sense, we do have a sense that I need to grow, and these are the areas I need to grow in. But we need to have in our lives spiritual people that really can discern where we're at, and that can preach and teach and speak to us in a way that's going to challenge us because I don't know what I need fully and you don't know what you need fully. And to be an effective witness in the world today, we're always going to be in a state of training. And, and, and if we are in that state, then we're going to be growing and growing and bearing fruit and bearing fruit and then being happy and fulfilled. And by the age of uh, Tony's turning 70 today, by the age of 99, I'm going to be a fulfilled, happy person that has fruit enough because I am being trained and I'm growing. So let's think that, let's keep that in mind and said a lot of things this morning, but it's just amazing how God has given us power and he's given us the ability and he goes with us when we share Christ. And let's not be intimidated by the perspective that people have of you. Oh, you're a Christian, you go to church, you go to that church. It's like, yeah, I go to that church and I'm a happy person. And I'm, you know, are we perfect? No, but uh, I'm happy and I'm walking. I go to bed with peace at night. My perfect dad, perfect mom, no, <laughs> no way. But I go to peace at night and God's, God's with me because he loves me. And I get his priest all day. I'm just going to stop now rambling on and on. Okay, amen. Let's just pray.